Hey team, this is Matt Parra with my good friend Brad Moody. We're super excited to be able to spend some time with you this week talking about lesson number five in this quarter's lesson, uh, which is entitled Violating the Spirit of the Law. This week's lesson is pretty interesting. A lot of great insight, a lot of, uh, yeah, just a lot of good lessons. I wanted to begin by saying that last week's lesson was about facing opposition. And the opposition that Nehemiah and Ezra and the Jews were facing as they were attempting to rebuild Jerusalem for God was opposition from outsiders, quote unquote, people who were without the Israelite faith community who were trying to stop them from doing what God had called them to do. Uh, this week talks about issues that arise amongst the people of God that arise from within. And it's quite interesting how these two lessons are juxtaposed. Last week, opposition from without. This week, issues that arise from within. Mm. And I find that quite interesting. And um, especially the title, Violating the Spirit of the Law. This week's lesson talks a lot about how people can violate the spirit of the law without actually violating the law. So on paper or technically speaking, they mm. could be doing perfectly fine, <laughs> but really they could be uh, out of harmony with God and doing injury to other people mm. because uh, in spirit, uh, they're not doing what God would have them do. And so this is a really good lesson. I'm pretty psyched about it. How are you feeling, Brad? Oh, I'm pumped up and, and even just in hearing your initial thoughts, I've already got a bunch lined up that I'm wanting to jump into, but I think it's probably best if we just start reading through the text um, yep. and, and, and see how it goes. So the basic uh, theme throughout, the basic story that we're following here is is found in Nehemiah chapter 5, and I believe we stay in that chapter um, pretty much the entire week. Uh, so it really gives us a chance to unpack it, but essentially it starts out with this opposition that we're, we're talking about inside, and there's this outcry against, um, uh, against I guess, Nehemiah in his leadership for, 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 for not necessarily... Um, uh, fixing up all their, their individual concerns. And then it goes on to um, talking about Nehemiah um, correcting that as a, as, a, as a solid leader. And then thereafter talking about his generosity and how he, he maintained, I guess, um, just his um, benevolence in, in, in working with the people. So let's start reading in uh, Nehemiah chapter 5 and verses 1 through to 5. And I'll read that. Uh, from the English Standard Version. Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse 1 through to 5. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as the children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Mm. Well, look, they're, they're in a, a serious situation. There's a famine. There is a lack and now the people are just at their wits end, really. They're kind of at their limit mm, mm. and they can't take anymore. Um, leveraging, you know, not leveraging, sorry, but they're mortgaging their fields. They're at the point of hiring their children out. Uh, to serve other other people. It's interesting um, the, the the context here too, which which strikes me because just back a chapter, the last part of the chapter is talking about how they've all got their sword on their side, right, yes. and they're building the the walls, right. They're building the city back, right. So they're working hard. Yeah, that's what strikes me as really interesting here. Like these people here, it's not like they're not doing what they can for God's cause. These these people yes. are striving towards uh, God's plan and mission for their life. And then they come across these difficulties yes. from within, as you, you were pointing out right. earlier. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so doing God's work faithfully doesn't guarantee that you're not going to have difficult and trying circumstances come upon you. Right. And it's not necessarily just because, or, or, or it's not necessarily as apparent as the devil is, is sending people, like we were talking about with Sanballat and the other um, you know, opposers in last week's lesson. Yes. Sometimes it's going to just be circumstantial. Yep. And you're going to be questioning, well, you know, God, why is this happening to me, perhaps? Mm -hmm. Because you don't really feel like it's justified when you're working so hard for the call that you've been given. Yep. Hey, so Brad, a quick question from me to you. Uh, and I've got some thoughts about this, but 
how you know here we've got a group of people who are crying out mm. yet the bible teaches that we're to be anxious for nothing mm. right but in all things be uh you know faithful in prayer and yeah. reaching out to god and the bible says uh, that we shouldn't complain right and, um that we should be content paul says in philippians chapter 4 that he has learned that whatever state he's in he can be content Mm. So the Bible counsel is pretty clear. Yeah. We should be content whether we're in rags or whether we're in riches. Mm-hmm. And Paul says godliness with contentment is great, great gain. gain. Yeah. So aren't these people godly? And shouldn't <laughs> they be content? Because like you said, they were doing hard work for God. Yeah. And they're, doing, they're seeing God's hand at work on their behalf because he's resisting their enemies. Yeah. And they're overcoming in the power of God. Yet here they are complaining because, you know, they've got to go through some hardships with the famine and be a little <laughs> bit poor. Are they just kind of being wingers here? Yeah, it's a great question, Matt. And, and, and it's, it's, a lot, it's very pregnant with a lot of, um, yeah. you know, tension. And there's, there's got to be a balance maintained, That's right? it. Because, because as, as humans, we're, we're so dependent upon things. Mm-hmm. We're so dependent upon the blessings that we get from God that sometimes we forget God is still in control of those blessings. You know, and that yes. there's lessons for us to learn along the way. And I think there is a fine balance, as you said, between being content, but still striving to correct the difficulties that you're facing. Like, I mean, they're not just, you don't want them to just sit on their hands um, yes. and just say, oh, woe is us, but we're not going to be upset about it. Yeah. Like, the, the, there's a difference between being upset and doing something about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And oh, the, the, then being upset and not doing something about it. And, and so you've got to be striving towards correcting the issues, yeah. um, but at the same time, learning that lesson of patient forbearance, as, yeah. as Paul talks about thematically through his, his letters, um, similar to what you, you quoted as well. Yes. And I think that's really where you find that balance is, is just learning that God is still in control of this when you, when you have that absolute rest and peace in his provision and providence, but at the same time, you're doing what you can to try and fix the difficulties that you face. Fix the things that are wrong. Yeah. And at the end of the day, no matter how holy and righteous and sanctified you are, mm. you're not a doormat. Yeah. And you don't deserve to be treated as if, uh, to be neglected the way these people are being neglected. Yeah. And sometimes I think we can lose sight of that fact that yes, we're to be content. And yes, we are to be satisfied with God. And he's enough, right? No matter what circumstance we're in. But oftentimes we are being disadvantaged by circumstance and people. I find that there's a difference between the spirit of complaining and making a complaint. Mm. And so I think it's fine for people to to make a complaint when they have a reason to do so, a real reason to do Mm. so. Mm. But that's different than having just a whining, whinging, complaining mm. spirit where you're always looking for something to be wrong. So I think that's, that's wherein lies the difference for me as a Christian. And another subject that runs parallel to this is the subject of having fear or any mm. other kind of emotion. There's nothing wrong with feeling fear. This life brings a lot of reasons to be afraid mm. with it. Mm. Uh, it's, it's that when you transition from being afraid of something that's, you know, should, you should be afraid of, and, 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 and you enter into the world of having a spirit of fear. And, and to me, I think that's, that's the real balance there. Yeah. I can ask myself the question, okay, do I have a spirit of fear, or am I just rationally afraid? Is this a reasonable fear? Yeah. And I think that's maybe the lesson we get from this too. These people had a valid complaint. Yeah. They're not manifesting the spirit of complaining and being ungrateful and focusing on the negative all the time. That's right. But they were, they were just people who were in a really hard situation. And as we find in this lesson, it was unnecessary because yeah. those in power, those who had money, who they were indebted to, were exploiting them. Exactly. And, and to clarify, I think um, one way to define what you mean when you say spirit of complaining or spirit of fear, it's kind of like when it serves to become a dysfunction for you. So a spirit of fear, for example, is two different ways in which you can respond to something that's fearful, right? So you come across a snake on the footpath, 
your natural inclination is to respond by moving away from the snake. That's a rational response to a fear stimulus, yeah. right? But an irrational uh, and dysfunctional, therefore, uh, response to a fearful situation is you then become cowering mess, a cowering yeah. mess in the corner of your bedroom, worried that there's snakes coming out of every like orifice of your house. Like a prisoner. Right, exactly. And so same sort of thing with the spirit of complaining. When you have a tendency to just look for um, the problem Problems or just uh, critique the situation or complain about the situation without actually looking for a solution, that's when it becomes dysfunctional. So when fear inspires you to change your direction, that's a healthy response. Mm-hmm. When it becomes something that's overwhelming and un, uh, un, unmanageable, that's no longer a helpful response. So for example, with the spirit of complaining, if you're um, not looking for a solution to the problem that you're seeing in front of you, your complaining is not of any benefit to anyone or anything. You need to be looking for solutions. And this is a business management principle as well. When you come to the floor with a problem that you're facing, you need to be trying to find solutions at the same time and suggesting solutions to uh, resolving the, 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 the issue that you've found. Yeah, sounds good, yeah, right on. So we've found a little bit of balance, mm. for now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, we're gonna move on over to Monday's lesson, uh, and it's entitled Against the Spirit of the Law, and we're gonna read verses six through eight in Nehemiah chapter five, and I'll go ahead and read those for us, Brad. Nehemiah chapter five, verses six through eight, and this is what it says. Then, this is Nehemiah speaking, then I was very angry when I had heard their outcry and these words. I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with that term, that's uh, they were charging interest on their loans. Uh, you are exacting usury each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them, and I said to them, We, according to our ability, have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Hmm. It's cool language. Yeah. So yeah, guys, Nehemiah, he's not going to tolerate the leader's behavior. And he's not happy with them. The Bible says he's angry, Brad. It says Mm. he's angry. (laughs) He obviously doesn't like the position that the leaders have put their people in. Yeah. I'm thinking of the verse, be angry and sin not. Yeah. Right. I wonder if this is a good example of that. Yeah, because this is this is this is a fine line, right? Yeah. He could easily have overstepped the mark here yeah. um, and come with with accusations and uh, this spirit of criticism and complaint that we were just talking about, right? It's funny how one spirit of complaint leads to another one in many circumstances, but in this one, he maintains his cool. And I love that it says there that he has this time to counsel with himself. Ah, he doesn't and just think, like knee-jerk reaction, right. go chop everyone's head off because yeah. they're, yeah. So, so we were talking earlier, we don't have time to get into it, but about how the frontal lobe is supposed to dominate um, your decision-making process, but how oftentimes the limbic system takes control and we start responding, as you said, knee-jerk, right? When realistically we should have control over that with a healthy frontal lobe yes. um, and be able to prevent that from rising up. And, and you see Nehemiah, he takes the time because he would have been, uh, you know, affected emotionally about this. He would have been literally angry, yeah. but he takes the time to counsel with himself. And how many problems would we avoid if we counseled with ourselves before attempting to resolve the issue that somebody else has caused? Yes, he decides that he's going to think it through before he addresses it. Precisely. So he's, got a, he's got a real reason to be upset with the leaders. Yeah. He's, he, he's, he's, he's righteously angry. Mm. And for those of you guys out there who think that it's somehow a sin to get angry, you have mm. to read in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus was in the synagogue and there was a man there with a crippled hand Mm. and all of the religious leaders look at Jesus to see what he's going to do. And they're only watching him because they want to find accusation against him. And so the Bible says that Jesus looked upon them with anger. Okay, now you don't typically think of Jesus that way. but, Mm. But look, if you're not angry at the way they were acting, then there's something wrong with you yeah. because the way they were acting, you should be angry at that behavior. Yeah. Uh, but obviously Jesus's anger would never transition from you know, a righteous anger against evil mm. to 
I'm going to uncontrollably vent my anger upon you because mm-hmm. you've you know, frustrated me and disappointed me or made me mad. Mm-hmm. And so Nehemiah here to me is a wonderful example of righteous indignation where he's mm-hmm. angry, rightly so, but then he, he, he rationally, as you're saying, and intelligently processes his anger so that he can come up with a constructive way yep. to, to fix the situation. And as we continue to read, as the other day's lessons show us, he does just that. Yeah, He's pretty, he's the kind of guy that you want to be your hero after reading <laughs> about some of the ways he dealt with stuff. Yeah, he's super balanced. That's, that's what I really respect about Nehemiah. And he always takes the time. Um, and I think that's really the critical difference with some of my responses to frustrating situations is just taking that time to actually consult. He's the man of prayer and he's the, the, the kind of man that internally dialogues with himself so that he doesn't say things ra- irrationally or, or with any kind of venom you know, or, or angst. And you touched on something that just really sparked me and that is that like attra- Ellen White says like attracts like and you don't need Ellen White to tell you that. Mm. Like you, you can observe that in life. Uh, you are in a fine mood, someone comes and rubbishes you, trashes you, mm. uh, unnecessarily harms or hurts you, and your natural temptation is to react. And then in reacting, yeah. all you've done is continued the thing that hurt you. Yeah. And now you're going to dump that on someone else and perpetrate that same negativity and, and whatnot. And so I think we've all got to be very careful that when becoming, when, when after becoming a victim or after being victimized mm. by someone's misbehavior or bad spirit, that we don't just become victimizers ourselves. True. And then, and this is the great, great danger. Sometimes the people who hurt people the most are the ones who've been hurt the most mm. and who are blinded to the fact that they're hurting other people and who feel justified in hurting other people yeah. because they themselves have been hurt. I see this in my own ministry. Oftentimes people who hurt others the most are the quickest to tell you how much they've been hurt. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, so the fact that they've been hurt, they're they're now blinded emotionally hmm. to how they're functioning and how they're yeah. behaving, and they're unaware of the fact that they're doing terrible things to people. And I think that that's saying a lot, right? Like we're entering yeah. the whole world of discussion. Yeah. But Nehemiah is a positive example of how we can manage our emotions mm-hmm. after we see wrong happen, yep. and how we can contribute to a solution. That's right. And fixing the mm-hmm. thing that we say is no good. Stopping the chain reaction. Stopping the chain. That's, that's what he's doing. He's Did stepping into the mark, right? Yep. Um, and I, that's, I love that. But one thing that confused me here at first, Matt, is why is he actually angry? He's angry because they're exacting interest. Now, why is that even a concern? Like, like give us a bit of context here. Like, sure. when, when we're dealing with interest filled loans on a day-to-day basis in our modern society. Why is this such a big deal? I mean, they're just doing what everybody does. Yeah, well, yeah, that's good. The lesson points out and gives us some texts of scripture uh, that point us to the fact that in the Mosaic law, the governmental system of law that God gave to the Israelite nation, they were forbidden to exact usury or to charge interest uh, to their brothers. Hmm. It was something that God forbid. He didn't appreciate it. And I think it's because God knew, I, I, I mean, I can't speak for God, but my understanding of why God forbid uh, an interest banking style system mm. in Israel was because he knew what would amount. Yeah. He knew what would come of it eventually. You, you, you mix together factor number one, people who are good with money and people who are bad with money. Factor number two, True. sin and selfishness. Yeah. Right. Factor number three, people who are immoral and... Um, debased and so who don't have self-control mm-hmm. you've just got a recipe you got a recipe for exploitation and yeah. you give that enough time and you're gonna have uh, a bunch of people enslaved by a few people and so you know God saw it he knew it would be the outcome and so he mm-hmm. forbid interest banking in Israel and I look man the Bible says in the book of Proverbs and it's uh, the text is there I can't remember the reference but it says that the 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 borrower is a slave to the lender. And so we have a problem. And this is something I should say. Mm. I actually took issue with the lesson and how it, how it words things in the beginning of, of this day's lesson. It talks about how difficult it is for us today to grasp <laughs> slavery. And I'm thinking to myself, why? We're all slaves to yeah. the banks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. And so yeah. if I don't own my house, I don't own my car, and I work really hard to pay off 
a debt that I've incurred. Who am I working for? Yeah. I'm working for the bank, and therefore I'm a slave to the bank. And so I, this is a soft form of slavery mm. that uh, we don't care so much about because we all have nice houses and running water. But we effectively, on an essential level, are just mm. as much slaves as uh, a person who just who we lived in their house in their shed, you know, mm. and they told mm. us what to do every day. Yep. It, it, this is a nicer, softer, um, more sanitized version of slavery, and, 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 but, but it's still slavery nonetheless. Now, so that no one's confused by what I just said, I want to make the clarifying point, and that is that the Bible distinguishes between what we would call what we would call slavery and what uh, is effectively man-stealing. So in our, in our culture today, what we say is slavery is not necessarily what the Bible said was slavery. What we, what we think of when we think of slavery is uh, stealing a person from their homeland, uh, treating them harshly physically, and then you know, imposing you know, cruel and terrible working hours upon them uh, at the threat of death. Right? Mm. That's, that's, mm. But that's what the Bible would call man-stealing. And that's yeah. forbidden by penalty of death in the book of Leviticus. Interesting. And so, so, but slavery, broadly speaking in the Bible, is indentured servitude. Mm. It's you're indebted to serve someone legally because of a debt that you have incurred. You know, so that, I didn't say that perfectly, but you're indebted to serve someone. Yeah, yeah. No, on some sense. level and in some way. And there's different, you know, levels of all of that. And there's a bigger conversation here, but I just wanted to make sure that when I said that we're all slaves, I'm not trying to say we were all slaves and, and insult the people who were stolen from homelands and, mm. and brutally tormented over the course of years, forced into hard labor. I'm yeah. not saying we're all that, but that's what the Bible would call man-stealing. Right. I'm not saying we're all that kind of slave. I'm saying we're all, we're all slaves in the Jewish economic system mm -hmm. uh, view, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So then these guys are coming at the leaders and they're crying out against the slavery and oppression that they're suffering, which is not that essentially, but realistically right. they are under, are under oppression and they're coming to their leaders on that basis. Yes. So then Nehemiah steps in um, and makes a change after he's thought about it and, and prayed about it. Uh, and then he comes to the leaders and I just love how he, he lays it out clearly for them. Yeah. And they've got nothing to say. <laughs> that's awesome. Right. And I, I do believe, though, that that's not just because he had a power with his words. I do believe that that was because the spirit attended his words. Yeah. And probably because, or I believe so, because he had spent that time once again. I can't reiterate that's enough. Right. Spent that time in prayer and spent that time in counseling with himself what needed to be done. And I think that's probably a lesson that we need to learn with when we're about to write that email because somebody said something stupid, yeah. right? To spend some time just thinking about what we're going to send and pray that God will attend our words so that we can then be balanced and it will make a difference. As you yeah. can see, conviction sets in with these guys here where they did not find a word to speak. Yes. And you'll actually see the same thing. You were talking about Jesus when he's looking upon the Pharisees. And they didn't have a word to speak either. No. Right? Nobody said anything because they're watching what he's going to do. They've got this, this the incorrect spirit within them. They don't have any 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 recourse. You know, and that's what that's what we're facing. It's a great point. Hey, I just wanted to point out here, brother, that uh, in from Tuesday, from Monday's lesson, and and the the title of the lesson for the day is against the spirit of the law, as we've mentioned already. But look. The, the way Nehemiah speaks to these guys is brilliant because he reminds them that they have saved their brothers mm. from being slaves of foreign people. And now they're doing the same thing to their brothers. Wow, yeah. That was done to their brothers by their enemies. Mm. And then he's basically saying in this, in this passage of Nehemiah 5, that, that don't you care about the reputation of our nation? Mm. In essence the way you're treating your fellow Israelite is going to basically make us uh, be, a, a, uh, how do you say, it's going to make us look bad in the eyes of the other nations. Mm. What does it say about our God? What does it say about us if we treat our own people True. like slaves, like just uh, objects that we could use for our capital gains? Right. This is not appropriate. And now, uh, they were exacting usury, which was against the Mosaic law. And further, they were, perhaps, how do I say this? I don't know how to, how, to, how to make this point, but it's in my head. And that is that the, the lesson brings out, and this is quite interesting, that historically speaking, we, we have discovered that the amount of usury that the Jews charged the other Jews was insignificant in comparison to what the mm. Persians would charge. Mm. So it was a trifle. 
hmm. in comparison. But yet still, it was putting their own people in a position where they were deprived of their basic wow. necessities. Hmm. And so you may have the legal right yeah. on paper to exact money from someone or to exact some kind of a, a temporal advantage over someone, like the law may allow it. But you've always got to step back, and this is the lesson that I take from this, you've always got to step back and ask yourself the question, um, what, is, what is my obligation now before God, even though on paper I'm, I'm legally allowed to continue to, to get money from these people? I'll give you an mm -hmm. example. I have a rental property in Florida. And let's just say hypothetically that I were to discover that the people who are renting the property that I rent to them just fell on hard times. There was a famine, right? There was, a, there was some natural disaster that was beyond their control and they had lost their job and they had a bunch of kids and, 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 and they don't have enough money to buy food. And then here I come along and say, hey, where's my rent? Now, let's say that I don't need the money because I've got plenty of money because it's one of five investment properties that I own. Not that I own five guys, I'm just using this as an example. I do have a rental property, but I don't have five investment properties. But let's just say in the, in the illustration, I have all these investment properties mm -hmm. and I'm perfectly fine financially. Now, according to the law and the contract that they've signed, they're obligated to pay me the rent and they're obligated to pay me that rent on time. Mm. But before God, as a son of God through the power of Jesus, who died for the sins of the world to save people. Like, what law am I now obligated to? Hmm. Not just the law on that piece of paper that says that I can exact a rent from those people, and mm -hmm. if they don't give me money, I can kick them out on the street, them and their children. You know, I'm obligated now by the law of love. Yes. The law that says these are children of God. Mm -hmm. And maybe they did drink a few too many beers and, and manage their money incorrectly. But at the end of the day, man, like, they're doing their best, if they are doing their best, they're doing their best, they've got a more, they, they, sorry, they've got rent, they've got kids, they've got issues, and I as a Christian who's doing perfectly fine should be willing to give them a helping hand. Yeah, right. And overlook True. the letter of the law. Because I'm sure these people who were in need had agreements, legal contractual, contractual agreements with the rich yeah. folk who were oppressing them. Hmm. You know, so I love that, that the lesson brings this out, is, is we can't allow, you know, like, policy agreements and man-made legal agreements to dictate how what spirit is going to guide us in life. Yeah. I don't know if this all makes sense, but mm -hmm. uh, it's just trying to express that the spirit of the law can be violated even when the literal law is not. The yeah. literal law is not being broken. So, yeah, good thought. Good thoughts. Not right. mine, but just the, the lessons. So on to Tuesday's lesson, um, we're going to read from verses 7 through to 12 of Nehemiah chapter 5. So I'll read that this time. Verse 7. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you were exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we are as far as we are able have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, their percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them, and we will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. Now, awesome. I, I, that is what so a boss. It's so full of like wisdom and 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 power. Um, but it's interesting there. And you, you touched on it, and I wanted to highlight it a little bit more now that we've come to that verse, where it says that, um, ought you not to walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? It's interesting that when we start to compromise on fulfilling the spirit of the law, even if we're maintaining the technicality and the legality of the law in its, in its specifics, yes. we diminish our influence with those that we're trying to spread the gospel towards, right? Yes. We diminish our influence and, and, and the picture of God that is painted in their minds when we attempt to deviate from as far as possible within the letter of the law to get ourselves our selfish gain. Yes. 
selfishness is ugly. Yeah. And I think that, 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 that that's it. The verse that comes to mind is, I think it's Romans 2. He's quoting an Old Testament passage where he says, the name of God is blasphemed among mm. the Gentiles because wow. of you. You don't fear God. You want money. You want power. You want position. And you're, you're selfishly manipulating your brethren. And everyone can see it. Mm. Like everybody sees it. So there's wow. this veneer of righteousness, this veneer of um, commitment to God. Mm. But in all actuality, you're selfish and you're about yourself. Mm. And this is being proven by the fact that you're, you're capitalizing off a disadvantaged brother. Yeah. And I think it's fine, really, to make money and to be savvy and, and to have business smarts. I think that's fine. Some people are better with money than others, and I'm not jealous of that. You know, Some people have made better choices than me, and I think all of us have to be aware not to be jealous of rich people because mm-hmm. a lot of times rich people are rich because they work really hard and they're disciplined and they're smart and they make better choices than me and they're reaping the rewards, rewards. of their good choices and their hard work and dedication yeah and for that i say we instead of being proudly jealous of them and covetous i say we just say hey god bless you this is good how can i learn from you like there's a yeah. place for that but at the same time if i'm advantaged and wealthy and rich and doing pretty good and i can see my brothers and sisters are doing terrible mm. i'm disrespecting god in my profession to god if i exploit them yeah. in their weakness and I don't need to do it yeah and as you mentioned uh, by the grace of Jesus Christ we have a responsibility to them you know yeah. um, one thing that think, I wanted go oh, I was gonna ask you a question what do you think about the fact like the lesson is titled that day that day's lesson is Nehemiah acts <laughs> yeah. I think it's, that's a great title for the I day. love it he acts mm. he doesn't just as compared to what just thinking or just complaining. Being a keyboard <laughs> warrior. Yes. He's actually prepared to do something yeah, about he's, it. He's going to get on the internet and just tell everybody about how terrible it was. What's going on? <laughs> well, that's another thing. He's actually abiding by the principles of Matthew 18 there where he's approaching the people that are at fault straight up. Right. Um, he's not virtue signaling. Sig, virtue, he, he's not virtue signaling on the internet. Like, look at me, everybody. How concerned with injustice I am. <laughs> right? He's right. not getting like ideological points from all the other keyboard army warriors out there. He's mm-hmm. he's doing something real. Yeah. 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 Doing something about the problem, which I love. And I love the response. Like we already touched on how conviction has set in, right? Following on from that, he gets more specific with what needs to be done for restitution for the problem that they've caused. Mm-hmm. And I just love their response. We will do as you say. We will restore everything and require nothing more of this interest. God bless them. That's nothing short of the Spirit of God working on their heart. It's like Nehemiah understands the nature of humanity though, Mm -hmm. right? In the moment, we so often are quick to respond in the way that the Spirit is calling us to, but so easy to forget. And so he exacts from them the oath, the promise. Now, I'm very conscious that Jesus talks about how we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. But in this context... I think this is very prudent. Yes. You know, very wise of him to actually push them. No, no, you promised this, right? Yeah. You're going to make then, a commitment. That's right. You're making a commitment right now. And they, 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 they're bound by that thereafter. Mm. Dude, uh, Nehemiah, very powerful, wealthy diplomat who, although he's a Jew, he's, he's been associating with, uh, you know, powerful people in powerful places mm-hmm. in the nation of Persia. And so when he comes to the elders and to the leaders, I wouldn't, shouldn't say elders, but the powerful people who are being complained against, you know, he, this, this, is, a con, this is a convening of rich, powerful people. Mm, mm. And one of the things that Nehemiah says is that I'm supporting these people financially. So think of the, the contrast here. So you've got a group of very wealthy, very powerful people. They're all Jews, but one mm. of them serves in the court of the Persian king. That's Nehemiah, who's mm. now the governor, who's leading the restoration of the, of the city of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And he meets with the other leaders and he says, you're doing to these people, you're doing to these people what the foreign enemies of God did to these people. And, and you're not living in the fear of God. And this is making us look like a... Like, Terrible to the outsiders. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I'm giving these people money. So we're all rich. We're all powerful in this room. Mm. But you rich, powerful people, you're taking the money from your brothers. And I'm giving the money. Mm. Dude, 
That's a strong case to make. Now, had he not been somebody who was financially with his own money contributing to the, yeah. to the, to the people who were suffering, he wouldn't have had as strong of a case to make. It's truth. It wouldn't have gone as far. So I think that's, an, that's a lesson. Mm. Uh, don't, don't you argue that other people should do what you yourself are unwilling to do. Right. Because your argument means nothing. Yeah. It's like whenever you hear, I'm going to go to funny water here, but whenever you you into the climate discussion about uh, global oh, yes. warming and, and climate change, oftentimes you'll see these inter- interviews on TV where you'll have like Leonardo DiCaprio and he's so concerned about the environment, but then the news reporters say, well, he spent like, $15,000 to make one plane, to send his private plane to Europe to get his special hairdresser and fly his special hairdresser to New York before the awards ceremony where he received an award for all of his work against climate change. You know, and it's like, what does that mean to the average person who's struggling to make ends meet? You know, it's like this guy's lecturing everyone about his concern for the environment and the protection of the environment. But come on, man, he's not willing to make any personal concessions for the sake of the environment. So he's, 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 he's hogwashed. Now I'm not saying that this is in any way, I'm not arguing to not care for the environment, but there's something to be said for uh, that argument. Like you're, you're not, doing the very thing you're asking everybody else to do. Yeah. And if you're not, then that calls your motivation into question. Mm-hmm. And rightly so. So nobody could question Nehemiah's like integrity and his sincerity here mm-hmm. when he advocates for the exploited Israelite people or the disadvantaged yeah. Israelite people because he himself was doing everything he could to help them. Exactly right. Now on the flip side to that, there is a tendency when you have that and you're already doing what you're telling other people to do, that you can take a high and mighty stance. Become a little bit self-righteous. Right, and so this is another thing that I think is is just profound with, no, with you Nehemiah. You can be self-righteous, Brad, but never me. <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> the point exactly, exactly. Right? So, so Nehemiah, he comes with balance and he comes with, um, with diplomacy, right? Um, it's so easy to lose that when we're coming to tell people their issues when we know we're doing better than them, yeah, right? Yeah, wow. And that, that's, once again, this same spirit of criticism, which doesn't get anybody anywhere. All it does is it gives you an air of uh, being above your brethren, when in actual fact your brethren don't make any changes to grow. And this is the difference. He's coming with a solution, and he's giving them the guidance through that process, but he's doing so with balance because he spent the time internally dialoguing with himself, as we talked about. Yes. Um, just really, really important to highlight that, I believe. Excellent, brother. Well, listen, I think we've covered the whole lesson besides Thursday. Well, actually, we sort of highlighted, we highlighted a little bit Wednesday. of Nehemiah's example, but I wanted yes. to sort of just read those verses before we, we capitulated yeah. that any further, um, because I think what you were touching on was, was pretty much in line with that, but I want to just add impact and add weight to that as we read the verses, and I'll just read through that. I'm already there in Nehemiah chapter 5 and verses 14 to 19. It says, Moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of the Lord. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was an ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Amen. There's this so much in legend. that, right? This guy's a legend. And it just fired up for you. You can see it. What you can see it the guy. whole way through the story, but now it's like really well put together in, in, in a couple of sentences that this guy was leading by example he's got all these servants but he gets them onto the work as well he doesn't have them back preparing his meal and preparing his his couch right he's there with them hands-on doing the labor doing the work and then not only that but he's providing for everyone it almost it actually says there as well this is besides those that came from the nations around that he served as well yeah now i had this image in my head that it was like us and them kind of a thing. We're doing this work, you guys, you know, get lost. We don't want your help on this wall or whatever. But there's obviously people that he's connected with that are actually coming to him in need and those he's not turning away. 
He's not coming out with a sword by his side while he's doing the work. You know, with those, he's providing for them at his own table. This is a man with wealth and influence and a man that's prepared to use it for the glory of God because of the fear of God as the verse articulated. Yes. Now, that's fantastic. And one of the things that this example of Nehemiah does not do, and that is to say that it would be wrong for him to take the governor's wage or the governor's Mm. um, salary if the people were in a position where that wasn't going to break them. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he's, he's not categorically saying that the wage of the governor was somehow unjust. Mm. He's just simply saying, due to the condition of the people, it would not be right for me who is in plenty to take from those who are in want. Right. Yes. And I think that's important to maintain that balance. Yeah. He's not saying it's wrong for rich people to be rich. And he's not saying it's wrong for rulers to have certain benefits yeah. and to have certain privileges. He's though saying, if you're a ruler and you're well off, and the people who are obligated by law to support you can't do that, mm. then it would be, it, it's, it's, it's your obligation now as the leader mm. to, to help the people and yep. to function under the spirit, not the letter of the law. Yep. And the, it's funny because the spirit of a good leader should be the benefit and blessing of the people they lead. Mm. And so... Should they get a wage? Sure. Should they be honored? Sure. Do they have lots of responsibility and challenge and pressure? Sure. And aren't they deserving of certain privileges? Of course. But if they're first and foremost committed to their responsibility, then how could they take money off of people who are being grinded to the ground in poverty and starving because of a famine and selling their kids off into slavery? How can you take money from those kinds of people? Yeah. I mean, you're just not a good leader. You're, You're an oppressor. You're yeah. a dictator. You're yeah. a self-interested jerk, really. Yeah. And you don't care if people are starving and struggling and suffering when you're just living on the high hog. Mm. And I think that's what's so... I think there's balance here yeah. because he's not condemning categorically rich people being rich or leaders having certain privileges and advantages. He's just simply saying, if the people are going down the toilet, don't keep taking their money. Yeah. You know, like it's, you know, feed them, help them, serve with yeah. them and suffer with them. Yeah, You know, that's, that's a real, I think, important lesson. You can see here very much a type of Christ. Do you know oh, what I yeah. mean? Like he sees the world that's going down the toilet, as you rightly put it. Um, and he's prepared to step in and work with the people. You yeah. know, so at the sacrifice of whatever else it takes, his own life in the end, he's prepared to do whatever it takes to restore and, 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 and to build up this, this people. And in the words of, of Jesus, I'm just remembering as you're talking about the spirit of the law once again, where he's talking to the woman at the well. And they're, they're having this argument about, about worship. And you were talking about how the Gentiles um, are blaspheming the name of God because of the, the, the self-righteousness of the Jews, right? And, and Jesus is, is here trying to stop this, this, this perspective from growing any further in this woman's mind. And as he says to her, um, those who worship God, who is a spirit, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so often we can be so focused on the, the truth or the letter of the law that we lose the spirit. Yes. And sometimes we can be so imbalanced that we focus in on the spirit of the law and, and, and love everybody, right? Bereft of truth and righteousness as it is that will be long-term beneficial to them. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we need to get the balance between the spirit and the truth, yep. right? And there's a whole other tangent that I want to go on, but I don't <laughs> I want to take the sake of time. Yeah. But I do want to highlight that it's not without benefit to Nehemiah. Right, so he's. I don't think at the end of this verse, in, in verse nineteen, where he says, "Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people." I don't think what he's saying there is like um, demanding of God anything that God hasn't already promised. Right. So this is the thing. So often we think that the sacrifice that we're going to make is that's where it's going to stop, but God says that there is that gives and yet continues to grow. Right. There, you cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days it will come back. Right. This is the same principle that he's outlining to God. He's saying, God, fulfill your promise. All right. Bless me on account of the blessing that I am being to somebody else. And this is the principle that I think we all need to remember, not because of the blessings that will come in tow for what it is that we're doing, but just on account of what we're doing. Remember, O Lord, what you've promised that you will do. What we reap, that will we sow. I think it's just important to note that sacrifice is not without benefit, not without blessing. 
God says, on the contrary, it actually is yeah. a greater blessing. That's good. Bro, look, because for the sake of time, I'm just going to say a few things, and they're going to be my last words here, and you're welcome, brother, to, to do what you want to do. But um, uh, if you want to share another thought, that'd be great. But the last thing I want to leave you guys with is something from Wednesday's lesson. So he, Nehemiah, asked the Israelite leaders to make an oath that they would do the right thing. So he recognizes that they're doing something wrong. He approaches them. He convinces them that they're doing something wrong and that they're victimizing people unnecessarily. And, and he, he works with them. He, he, he evangelizes them in the sense that he wins mm. them over to his side and he, he, he gains their understanding. And then after he gains their understanding, he says, okay, so now you guys commit to me verbally. You pledge to me that you will rectify the situation. Mm. And then they all promise, we'll give back the land. We won't hold any debts against the people any longer. And, and I find this to be a real wonderful example that I, I can learn from because sometimes I can, I can go to people and I can say to the people, hey, listen, um, you know, uh, you remember last Thursday you said this to Jim. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember how Jim responded? Yeah. Do you think that that's in the best interest of Jesus and the gospel? They can say no. And then I can say, okay, awesome. God bless you. Have a nice day. Mm. And, and I shouldn't stop there. I should say, you know what? I would like you to go to Jim and make this right. Yeah. Because that, that would be finalizing the work of bringing the truth to someone. So I, give it, I have a friend who does this really wonderfully where... When someone's done something wrong uh, or is in the process of doing something wrong and harming another person, he'll go and then he'll make them aware of that, not just by saying, you're a bad person, you're dumb, you need to do what's right, mm. but by like Nehemiah, reasoning with them, yep. making a case on behalf of the truth. And then once those people see it and they get it, then he says to them, I need you to go and, and, and right the wrong that you've yep. done. And like... I'm in this situation oftentimes as a, as a full-time pastoral minister uh, where, you know, th there will be someone who, say, misrepresents another person or even misrepresents me mm. to other people. Mm. And then I'll discover that they misrepresented me or another person to other people. And then I just, like, I bring them to the point of confession, but I don't ask them if they would go and right the wrong that they've done and say, you said to this person this, I need you to say to them, I misspoke, I misrepresented, and I'm sorry. Mm. Because in doing that, they would, number one, prove that they were repentant and that they were sorry True. for what they did. Because, you know, making something right isn't necessarily meaning you've made it right with God. It just shows that you're genuinely sorry for what you did. Mm. And you don't care if you look bad because you'll go and you'll admit that you did something wrong to the people that you did it to. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I feel like this is a really important thing for us in the church. When we do something wrong, the appropriate response isn't just to go, okay, yeah, I've been exploiting those people or talking bad about them or smearing their ministry mm -hmm. or misrepresenting them. Oh, yeah, I'm not just going to come to that realization in my own private space. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come to that realization and I'm going to go to all the people who I misrepresented that ministry to. Yeah. I'm going to go all to all the people who I misrepresented that person to mm -hmm. or undermined that person to or exploit, you know, and I'm going to say to those people, I did wrong. Yeah. It was wrong. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have spoken like that about those people. Mm. I'll give you, and the last thing I'll say as an example, I know a pastor. Now I'm going to get a little bit, we're a family, so I can say these things. And I'm not going to say anything where I identify people or anything. And I'm not bad-mouthing our church, but we're very human, and we have a lot to learn, and we need to grow. I have a, a friend in pastoral ministry in this conference who uh, was thought to be by some of his colleagues a perfectionist, a sinless perfectionist. Now... Brad, if you didn't know this, I can tell you this is an American. In Australia, if you want to give someone the worst possible insult you can give them, uh, you call them a sinless perfectionist. A sinless perfectionist. It'd be like, you're Satan. That's a really bad one. But then if you want to get worse than that, in Australia, you say, you're a sinless perfectionist. Just that, that moniker right there will devastate you in ministry amongst your colleagues and, against, and amongst many people. And so there was a minister who said of this other minister to multiple ministers that this minister was a sinless perfectionist. <laughs> well, it was discovered that this 
person was not a sinless perfectionist. That was not their theological understanding of Adventist teaching. But once the rumor got out there, it got out there. And um, the original minister who spread that information, he no longer believes that to be the case. That that first minister mm. he said was a perfectionist, mm. is he doesn't believe that the guy is. But everybody else does. Mm. So what is the job of that first minister who spread that misinformation? Well, it's to say sorry, and it's to go to all the people and to publicly say that I spread the rumor that this guy yeah. is that thing, and I want to say today that's not what they were. I'm mistaken. And what a lot of people do is instead of saying sorry and making it right, they'll say, oh, sorry, you should have communicated your position better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so that's not repentance. That's not no. true sorrow for what you did. And it takes it straight back to the Garden of Eden. Right? Yes. It's the blame game. It's the blame game. It's automatically God's fault because of what we've gone through, right? You yes. see you see that where, where Eve blames, you know, the snake and Adam blames Eve or whatever, right? We need to learn to take responsibility no for responsibility. it. Right? Yeah. And so, I, yeah. I was just going to finish off by saying that um, I'm thinking as you're talking about the story of Zacchaeus. Right, he's a guy who has been exploiting people for some time. And then he hears whispers, right, of of this leader that is beyond any uh, of the leaders before him, and beyond his wild imagination, his wildest imaginations. And so he he goes after him, and then Jesus has a meal with him or whatever, and then he basically finds conviction in the presence of Jesus Christ and he goes and restores us, um, and he takes it to the next level, right? Not only that, I imagine this guy would have ended up pretty poor after he restored yes. all the money four times what he had owed to everybody, which is probably what he had actually ended up accruing on the interest that he had with all that money that he had. Right. In any case, you get the point here. Like it's all about restoration, not just about getting conviction to set in and that's it. That's right. There needs to be a change. There needs that's to be right. uh, reconciliation. There needs to be retribution. Are we sorry for what we did? Mm. Or are we sorry that we got caught? Right. The person who says sorry and leaves it there is just sorry they got caught. Mm. The person who says sorry and makes it right mm -hmm. is the person who's sorry for what they did. And my appeal to the church family this Sabbath is when you find out that you were in the wrong, make it right. Yeah. Be sorry for what you did and mm -hmm. do what you can to restore mm -hmm. and to fix the damage that you caused and that yeah. you did. And uh, look, hey, I hope that you guys have, have been blessed by this commentary time. Brad and I love getting together to chat and chew the fat over the really powerful and insightful lessons uh, that come out from the quarterly. Um, God bless you. Take good care. If, we, uh, if you ever want to comment to us about the things that we're talking about and you want to say, ah, Matt, uh, you're a little shaky on that. And I, you know, I don't see it this way. Feel free to respond to our emails that you get this commentary in. And we love to, to chat, to dialogue. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, can, you can also contact Brad if you ever think, uh, something that he said was kooky or you'd like to say hey brad thanks so much for sharing that piece of insight is that possible could they ever do that brad? please do yeah, how would they contact you well the email probably yeah, the same pathway the email and that'll that, come that out to me yeah. yeah you can also yeah so you don't just have to charge me as a heretical teacher you can do the same thing charge uh, me as well charge me as well just I'll give, give us a <laughs> we're more than happy it wouldn't be the first time uh, anyways <laughs> god bless you guys we we, we love uh jesus and because of that we love you too take care bye